This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. For some reason, the Sultan didn't want me to come today, so it must be a good speech. I don't know. Something's coming up. Something's happening. You see. We're going with Tapasha Shmos. Vahibi Yamim Ahim, going backwards a little bit. Pasuk Chav Gimel, Perik Beis. Vahibi Yamim Ahim, Vayamos Melech Mitzrayim, the Paral Dive. I guess they were doing elections. I don't know why exactly, but because they, they stopped working. And their cries went up to Akash Baruch Hu from the hard work that they were doing. It's mashma that while you work, while they were working, um, they weren't really crying that much. Now that they had a break, they were crying. Okay, this is that's a pasuk that we understand. Pasuk of Dalit, I'm just leading up to something. And Hashem heard their cries. But Yisrael came with Brisa to Avraham and Yitzchak and Yaakov, and Hakadosh Baruch Hu remembered the bris that he made with Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and that's really where it should have ended. The next pasuk is the Shver pasuk, is the hard pasuk. And Hashem saw the Bnei Yisrael. Let's say Hashem saw their pain or their struggle. It just says He saw them. And Hashem knew. What did he know? Doesn't say what he knew. He saw them and he knew. You already told me in the passing before that he heard their cries, right? You told me that they heard. So what did he see? Says Rashi, which just makes it harder. Hashem gave them attention. And he didn't keep his eyes from looking at them. Hashem gave us attention. Hashem always gave us attention. And you already told us that Hashem heard them. When you hear somebody, you hear their cries, you gave them attention. What is Rashi saying over here? What is this Pasuk Chalfei? We're going to answer three questions with one answer today. Again, What did Hashem see? Doesn't say. Hashem knew? Doesn't say what He knew. Okay, that's question number one. Question number two. Going back. Pasuk B'Shalach. Israel comes to this water that's very bitter, right? They're crying to Hashem, they're crying the Erev and they come to a place called Mara, and Akash who says to, to Moshe Rabbeinu, take a stick and throw it into the water, but and the water is going to become sweet. Why not Hashem just make the water sweet? You split the Yamsuf, right? So you did all, all the ten makos. What did you do? Moshe Rabbeinu took his stick and he stretched out his hand. Why over here, to, to please the Kasha, and I know that all the guys here in Yeshiva had this question and that's why you haven't slept for like three weeks. And now that I'm here, we're going to take care of it. They're all gonna, Rabbi, tonight they're all going to sleep well. Like what's going on over here? Hashem didn't say, throw your stick into the yam and it'll split. Hashem didn't, he just said, put your hand out. Well, Shabbat said, the water's bitter, put your hand out with the stick, the stick, right? And, and the water becomes sweet. What's would take a stick, throw it in the water. And the measure says that the stick was bitter. Bitter, bitter, bitter. Why would you throw a bitter stick into bitter water? Throw a sweet stick, maybe, a, maybe from a date palm, or something of that sort, throw it into the water. Why do you have to throw something into the water? And why did it have to be something that was bitter? 
Okay, so that's our second question. There's actually going to be four questions. The third question was this past week's parsha. I'm sure this really bothered you. The opening pasuk says, "By Yishma Yisro Kohen Midyan, and Yisro the Kohen Midyan heard Chosei Moshe, the father-in-law of Moshe, and Koshei We already know from Parsha Shmos that Yisro was Kohen Midyan. When when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the well, it says the daughters of Yisro Kohen Midyan. So we knew that he was a priest. So why are you saying something negative about him here? It should say, What's the Kohen Midyan? We know, who he, we know that he's a priest, and that's not a, that's not a compliment. It should have said, And Yisrael heard, So what's the, why are we bringing down Kohen Midyan? Question number three. Question number four is a pleadaker question. It's going to be a little bit more of a, a little longer answer on question number four, but it's all, it's all the same idea. So on Pesach, I know I never spoke about this because I'm not here before Pesach. But I talk about this every Pesach. On Pesach, we dip the marah in the charosas. Says the Shulchan Aruch that the charosas has to be made, right, from sweet red wine. And then Sephardim have dates, we have, we have uh, apples, whatever, whatever else you want to put in there. Cinnamon, whatever else you want to put in there. But the Shulchan Aruch says it has to be sweet red wine. Why? Has to look like bricks. Why does that look like bricks? Because the Mitchum put the babies in the wall when they ran out of bricks. Kleisrael, right? They took babies, Jewish babies, worse than the Nazis. Yimachshamam. They took Jewish live kids, not dead kids, live kids, stuck them into a wall and cemented them, and watched them die. So. I talk about this every Pesach, so one second. So the Shulchan Aruch says it should be sweet. It should be red wine vinegar. It should be the most bitter thing in the world. What's sweet about putting babies into a wall? And definitely he's not going to make the marar sweeter. Marar is not as bad as haroses. Marar is because by Yimaros Chayerim. Okay, they, they were slaves, they were beaten. But that doesn't compare to taking your own child and putting him in the wall and watching him die in cement. So how does dipping it in the charoses make the mother better? Long question, no? You're having charoses your whole life in memory of, of dead babies in brick walls and you're like, oh, it's delicious. And most of us, at the end, right? Ma, can you give me like a couple of spoonfuls of that? Right? Applesauce, right? What's going on over here? What is going on over here? So Rabbi Gamliel, my Rebbe, said that I have to focus my, my next speeches on Amuna. This speech has a lot to do with Amuna. So what's really going on here? I think I told you this story already, but I'm going to tell it to you again. I probably told it to you a few years ago, maybe, maybe last year. I don't remember what I say. Um, like most of us. So the story goes like this. I, I, we have, I have an organization called Ornava. And um, we raise money to help girls. I have two seminaries. I have a high school. I have a rehab. They're not all the same. They're, they're not all the same. <laughs> they're, they're all all separate entities. Um, so I have to raise money. So I make a dinner. And normally my dinner usually we get about eight hundred people. Big dinner. We We raise a lot of money. We we always I always do it during Svira because during Svira. 
you can't have weddings, and you can't have graduations, and you can't have Shabbat Brachas, and you can't go out to the movies. For those people, Chas Shalom will go to the movies. Those people probably go, uh, wouldn't say anything, but anyway. So, so it's the best time to make it because nobody can have an excuse. One of my friends, four weeks before the dinner, said he can't come because he has a bris. <laughs> I'm like, first of all, it's at night, and second of all, how do you know in four weeks you have a bris? Like, right? Whatever. Anyway, so, when you want to have an excuse, you have an excuse. So, but one year, six years ago, true story, mama's a true story, six years ago, I, um, I couldn't, I couldn't do it on Sphero. For whatever reason, I was away, I couldn't do it on Sphero, and the only time I could get the hall, we, we go to Prospect Hall, it's, a, it's an opera house, beautiful hall, food, it's a, it's a, it, we, we spend a lot of money to make a lot of money. And I had to make it in June, which is the worst month possible, because every night is a wedding. The second half of June, every night is a graduation. And if you have weddings, you have Sheva Brachas. It's like the worst time, but better something than nothing. So, and I got, I have a lot of supporters. So I'm like, okay, I had a lot of supporters anyway. Because <laughs> everyone's going to hear the tape say, oh, we don't got to give him anymore. He has no, he has a lot of supporters. Anyway. So, I have to think, I have to think ahead. So, I made it four weeks before the dinner. Four weeks before the dinner, had this great guest of honor who was going to give me a lot of money. But it's very important the guest of honor, there's a lot of people there to give them COVID. Uh, not all guests of honor, but some guests of honor like COVID. And um, my secretary walks into my room, my office, and says, Red Wallstein, we have a problem. I'm like, what's the problem? She says, it's four weeks to the dinner. We reserved 800 seats. That's what we always had. In this place, it's uh, just the, just the deposit was like twenty thousand dollars, and the caterer. So altogether, it costs about a hundred, hundred fifty thousand dollars if you make the dinner. Uh, the caterer, photographers, you have to order everybody. And Rabbi, we only have seventy five people coming so far. I'm like, what? We have seventy five people, including the guest of honor and his family. I'm like, 75 couples? Not that that would be, be any better, but... Well, 75 people. Like, 75 people. you got to cancel. We're, we're going to embarrass this person. who He'll never give us a dollar. It's going to embarrass Ranava. It just doesn't work in June, Rabbi. I'm like, cancel a dinner? This person is going to be very insulted. It's not good for Ranava. I don't know what to do. What do you do when you don't know what to do? Guys, what do you do? You go to Davin. So right next to my office is Shemir Shabbos in Borough Park, Minion Factory every 15 minutes. So I go to Davin Mincha, and I know from my past Shemoneh that all my ideas come during Shemoneh <laughs> Sometimes, you guys say, Hashem Sufzai Tiftach, before you start Davin Shemoneh I say, Tzil Saderach. <laughs> and sometimes, at the end of Shemoneh I have to bench Graham. I've been all over the world, all over the place. So I went to Davin Mincha, I'll get a good... Do you make the dinner? Don't you make the dinner? Hashem, help me. Best one Esrei ever davened, not one idea came into my head. Not one idea came into my head. I walk out of davening, I'm canceling the dinner. I cannot have 200 people at a dinner. That we, once, I, once we do the dinner, i got to pay the caterer. It's $100,000. I'm not losing that kind of money. I'm not doing the dinner. I walk out of, the, I walk out of Shem Shabbos. And I meet this man that I know very well, Rav Simcha Soloveitchik, a real brisker Soloveitchik. He's one of the Soloveitchik, tall, always talking Torah. Wildstein, you look upset. I'm like, Rav Simcha, I am upset. Why? I'm like, I got a dinner for 850 people, and right now I have 75 people. 
I'm not making this dinner. He says, don't make a decision until you hear my story. He's not a storyteller. I'm like, okay, I want to tell you a story. Then you make your decision. Very important story for every boy in this room, for everybody in this room, for all of us, all of us. And this story is going to answer all four questions. So it was once this guy, his name was Yankel. He was a peasant, a farmer, not a very intellectual guy. And in front of his, in front of his house was a 25-ton boulder. Not movable, not movable by tractor, not movable. He comes outside and he hears a voice. Yanko! Is there a Yanko that we're looking at here? Is there a Yanko here? Yanko! Is that you, God? Yes, it's God. What can I do for you? I want you to push that boulder for the next half hour harder than every, anyone ever pushed the boulder. Hashem, sure, whatever you want. Goes to the boulder. It's a big guy. Push the boulder. Of course, the boulder doesn't move. Ridiculous. Next day, Yanko! Yes, Hashem. You did a good job yesterday. Push the boulder as hard as you can. Pushes it for half an hour. Nothing. Guys, this goes on for a year. Every morning he hears a voice. No, it wasn't a guy behind the rock. It was really Hashem. They're thinking, I would do that too. No, it was Hashem. So, this goes on for a year. And of course, the boulder doesn't move. One day he comes out. And standing by the boulder is this big, mean-looking angel. And the angel says to Yanko, do you know who I am? He says, I hope you're not the angel of death. He goes, I'm worse. I'm the Satan. I'm Satan. So what do you want with me? He says, you know, I got a bad report. People think that I don't have a heart. I have a little heart. Yanko, do you ever think about why for the last year God tells you to push this boulder as hard as you can and it doesn't move for a half an hour every day? Yaakov goes, well, Hashem tells you something, you don't ask. He says, but I'm going to tell you, you know why I'm going to tell you? Because this, you can tell everyone that the Satan has a heart. He says, so what's going on? He says, a year ago, a year ago, the Malachim, the angels, came to Hashem and complained that we work 24-7 and we never get a break. So Hashem said, okay, every day for half an hour, I'm going to give you guys a half an hour of comedy relief. You're going to watch a human being push a boulder that's 25 tons and think that he can move it. He says, Yaakov, we watch you every day pushing harder. We're laughing our wings off. You are a fool. And God is just using you. He is very insulted. He's very, very hurt. Okay, tomorrow I'm going to tell God what I think. Next day, <laughs> Yanko, is that you, Hashem? Yup. No, he didn't say yup. Okay, whatever. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Push that boulder as hard as you can for the next half hour. Yanko goes, no. Hashem, I know what you're doing. You're using me as comedy relief for your angels. You know that no human being can move that boulder. And Hashem says, Mishnah Pirkei Avos, Hashem says, I didn't tell you to move the boulder. 
I told you to push the boulder. Lo alecha hamalacha legmar. Mishnah. He didn't tell me that. That's my own. And you are the best boulder pusher since I created the world. I've never had someone push a boulder as hard as you. You keep pushing. When I'm ready, says Hashem, your job is to push. My job is when I'm ready, is to move the boulder. V'yada Hashem, says the Pasuk. Hashem knew what we were pushing. Hashem knew. V'yara Hashem, Hashem saw. Hashem knew when the time was to move the boulder. And Pasha Shmuel says when the time when Hashem decided now it's time to move the boulder. Your job for 210 years was to go through what you went through. So now he's all happy because he found out that he's the best boulder pusher that ever existed. And he goes into the field and there's a satan. And the satan says, what are you smiling about? What are you happy about? And Yankel says, I just found out that I'm the best boulder pusher that Hashem ever created. And the satan says, you fool, what God told you is that for half an hour every day, you're the best human being that you ever had to do nothing. Because you're not moving anything. Now, he wasn't very smart. And he didn't know. He's all mixed up. Hashem says, I'm the best. The Sutton says, I'm an idiot. I'm a fool. Hey, what do you do when you don't know what to do? You go to the bar and get drunk. Not you. Him. <laughs> Rabbi Walsy, what did Rabbi Walsy say this year? He said, when you don't know what to do, get drunk. That's what's going to come out. No, 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 no. No, tell her anytime. No. Don't cut that tape off right there. So he goes. He's going on his way now to the. He's going on his way to the city, and he's going to get drunk. And as he comes around the corner, there's a woman standing there, screaming at the top of her voice, "Help me! Help me! My my, my husband is suffocating." He says, "What are you talking about?" He says he was changing the tire on our wagon, and the wagon collapsed. He's under the wagon. So Yanka goes, "So I'll 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 lift the wagon." She goes, "No, no, run to town. You need four or five people to lift the wagon. There's five thousand pounds of concrete in the back of the wagon." No human being, unless you're Superman, can lift the wagon. Yaakov goes, if I go to town, it's a half an hour to get there. It's a half an hour to get back till I get the people. He's dead. I said, he said, I'm going to lift this wagon six inches off the ground. I don't care how much concrete's in there, and you're going to pull them out. And she says, you can't. He says, I will. And boys, he bends down, and all those muscles in his legs, in his arms, in his back, in his neck, that he built from pushing a boulder that didn't move a half an hour a day for a year came into play and he lifts this thing puts his hands underneath he lifts this wagon six inches and she pulls him out and he's breathing and she turns to him and says you are Superman (laughs) and he says you're Lois Lane no I'm kidding anyway so Clark Kent Lois Lane whatever and I remember a little bit episodes I remember not that I ever tel- had a television, but my friend, he told me somebody about Superman. <laughs> so, he goes, I'm not Superman. She goes, but I can't thank you enough. He goes, don't thank me. Thank a boulder that wouldn't move. Had it moved the first time I pushed it, I would have never pushed it again. So we all struggle. This is so important for everyone. Everybody struggles. I just had a girl before I came here. She's never struggling with the craziest stuff. I said to her, you either struggle emotionally, or you struggle spiritually, or you struggle physically. If you weren't supposed to struggle, Hashem doesn't put you in this world. In the other world, you don't struggle. One half you do, one half you don't. 
you go to the half year, you know, everybody struggles. So why are you making me struggle, Hashem? The boulder's not moving anyway. I came to Yeshiva, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. I said, you keep, I'm davening, I'm doing what I'm supposed to. And two, two, what's today, Monday? Thursday when I was here in Eretz a girl, a girl came to speak to me after I'd spoken in seminary. She said, I, I don't understand. I should have given her this speech. She said, I don't understand. My problem was boys. And there was this boy when I was 15 years old that I had a crush on. For all those guys who know what crush means, I'm not explaining it. <laughs> I had a crush on this boy, but he gave me no attention. He was busy with other girls. He never gave me any, any attention whatsoever. I really, I really wanted to be his girlfriend. And one thing, I came to Israel, I took on myself, and she's really a good girl today. I took on myself, no boys. I come home, shiduchim, get married, and not, and not in the scene. I'm not going to Machna Yehuda in those joints over there where everybody hangs out. No way. I'm not going to Machna Yehuda. I'm not in the scene. Nothing to do with boys. And she said, Herbert Wallstein, I went out to eat. I haven't seen this guy in four years, or three, four years. I went out to eat, and he's sitting there. And he comes over to the table, because we, we knew each other just from that neighborhood. Comes over to the table and says, Wow, I haven't seen you in a long time. Give me a call. Here's my number. So what's Hashem playing with me for? What's he playing with me for? I told Hashem, I don't want to do this. I could have gone to the restaurant 15 minutes earlier, 15 minutes later. The guy never gave me attention. He never looked at me. And now, all of a sudden, there's six girls at the table. He comes over to me and says, wow, I haven't seen you in so long. The guy yet never gave me any attention. She said, I don't understand. I don't understand. I said, it's not so easy to stop. And when you stop, the something's like, of course she stopped. But if that guy would show up that she used to like, ha, 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 she'll break. So Hashem says, really? Okay. It's Sayon. I said, only because you grew, you're bothering the Satan, only because you grew did that guy show up and give you his number. So by the way, what did you do with his number? She said, I threw it out before I even walked out of the restaurant. I said, that's... So sometimes you push this boulder and you're like, what are you doing, Hashem? I don't understand you. I'm trying to get better and it doesn't move. I'm trying, I'm davening, I'm going to the coast, I'm going to the seek, and I'm down your kipper, whatever. I, and it doesn't move. And Hashem's like, it's not supposed to move right now. Right now you're building that muscle called struggle muscle. Because one point in your life, you're going to come around the corner and if you don't have that muscle you won't be able to lift the weight. And that's why we struggle. That's why Ray Wallstein struggled as a kid. That's why we all struggle. Everybody struggles. Everybody has different struggles. I don't understand certain struggles because I didn't struggle with them. I understand my struggles. And I didn't understand when I was going through what I went through. What? Where was God? Why wasn't? Why was, like Rashi says, why was his eyes closed? Because if Hashem's eyes were open, he would have taken Israel out the first day. But he knew that they had to become a cloud, they had to become a nation. And there were only 70 separate people that came to Mitzrayim. So he had to look away, because if Hashem looked at them in pain, he would have taken them out the first second, they wouldn't have gotten the muscle to carry us till today. Till today, we became a nation in Mitzrayim, and we're still a nation today, because of all the struggles, and boy do we struggle. And we're a nation today because of a Holocaust. 
six million Jews and a lot of struggling. But those people that came out of the Holocaust had sick struggle muscle. Sick struggle muscle. And on their shoulders, this whole generation, all of us, everybody, exists. So we had to go through a Holocaust to get the muscle, to be able to even, to have a Siam Hashas in America, in City Field, 90,000 people learning Torah. You think that comes from Americans? You think that's an American thing? That's Europe. That's the Kedoyim. That's the Sadiqim that died. So yeah, and believe me, if Hashem would have looked for one second, there would have been a Holocaust. But Rashi says sometimes, Hashem, Hashem, I know. Don't think I don't know. It's my job to move the boulder. It's your job to push. Don't, if you don't push, I won't move it though. So I told my last year, I said, don't think that he's going to move the boulder without you pushing. No. That's why Moshe Rabbeinu had to throw the stick, the bitter stick, into the water. Because Hashem said, I want to show you that something bitter can make something bittersweet. Bittersweet, that's where the word comes from. It's an oxymoron. How, how can it be bittersweet? It's bitter or sweet. That sometimes the hard things in your life make you who you are, and in the end give you the ability to lift the wagon. Sweetest moment. Save the guy's life. So the bitter stick that he threw, you want to show clients, so I can take a bitter thing in your life, throw it into bitter water, and that'll make it sweet. Jose Moshe, beautiful vart. Listen to this. The Medrash says that Yisro was a priest that served every Avodah He was the priest of Midian. Midian was the biggest in Summon. They, they used bones and things and Bilam and Balak and this whole Chevra, this whole Midian Chevra. They were the biggest in magic and in the, in the lowest. They served the two lowest Malachim in the world. They went to the mountain. Crazy stories with them. Midian was the epic center of magic. And Avodah And Yisro, who was the high priest, he was the man, he was the man, gave it up, did tshuva, and only believed in Hashem. The Medrash says that when he did that, the Midyanats, everyone, all his followers, put him in Cherem. They actually wanted to kill him, but they put him in Cherem. Then no one's allowed to work for him. And no one's allowed to have anything to do with Their priest rebelled. So when Moshe Rabbeinu came to the, to the water, so it says there were right eight signs there. Right? Shepherds. So why didn't they work for, why would he have to send his daughters who they beat, they were beating up on? Why would Yisrael send his daughters? Because nobody else would work for him because he was in Cherem. So because he was in Cherem, Moshe Rabbeinu met Zipporah at the water. He met Zipporah, he married Zipporah, and Zipporah actually saved his life, and he married Zipporah. But Yishma Yisrael, Kohen Midjan, because he was the Kohen Midjan, and he, and he gave it up, and he was in Cherem, he became Chayshim Moshe. So it's not, a, it's not a derogatory statement, it's a compliment. Because you did the right thing. It looked like the worst thing he got. It looked like, I gave up, I gave up, following you, Hashem, and now nobody, nobody talks to me, nobody works to me. My daughters have to do this. Hashem's like, yeah, it looks bitter. The stick looks bitter. But if you see the whole story, he's only Chayshim Moshe because he was Kohen Midjan. And, and that's what you see in life. And that's what you need to know. That's Emuna. Emuna, Emuna is not when things are good. Oh God, you're there. Emuna is when things are bad. And, and, and saying Gamzul but really meaning that I don't understand. This is really bad. I'm really pushing so hard. 
And Hashem's like, yeah, you're pushing very hard. And the Satan comes to you sometimes, and he tells you what he told what he told Yankel. He tells you, God's laughing at you. God's making a joke out of you. You think you could change something? And he, he talks to you in your head. And he says, you came to Yeshiva, you came to this. Look, yeah, what are you, stupid? You're not doing, you're not getting anywhere. You didn't, you're not learning. You're not growing. Yeah, it's a joke. They're laughing at you, Shemayim. You're a big joke. And Hashem's like, you're not a big joke. You just keep pushing. Sometimes I'm not going to move the rock. Sometimes it's going to be bitter. Bitter. I'm not moving that rock because I need you to build another muscle. Because the next test, the next person who needs help, is going to need you to lift a thousand pound wagon. And that answers the biggest question on Pesach. Listen to this. I don't remember who, I think maybe it was Shim Shimpinkas. I'm not sure. Could be it's him. I'm not sure who said this. It's a Neuridika Teretz on Charoises. How, how could you dip Mara into Charoises? Charoises is, is more bitter than Mara. He says the following. It's a Lamdish. It's a So he brings down a Medrash. I saw the Medrash where, where, when Mitzrayim was in the Yamsuf. So the Hashem said, I'm going to destroy. Gabriel was there. Michal was there. Malach and the Malach of, of, of Mitzrayim was there. And Hashem said, I'm going to destroy the Mitzrayim. I'm going to take all the water. I'm going to drown them. So the Malach of the Mitzrayim said, you can't. Because halachically, according to Jewish law, they're not Chayiv Misa. So Hashem said, why? He said, because halachically, there are three things that you have to give your life up for. Right? Shrikas Damim, someone tells you to kill someone. Gilei Arayas and Avayi Dezara. But the Allah and Shulchan Aruch, it's talking to Allah and Shulchan Aruch. Let's say a guy puts your head, uh, a gun to your head and says, either you kill him or I kill you. Right? And you kill him. Are you Chayiv Misa? No, it's an Aynes. If someone puts a gun to you and says, bow down to this Avay Dezara. Now really the three things you're supposed to give up, you're supposed to give up. But you have a gun in your head. So you don't, you, you bow down. Are you Chayav Misa? No, because you're in Aynas. All three things. Shulchan Aruch says you're in Aynas, you're not Chayav Misa. Said the Malach Mitzrayim. Paro said, why, why are you drowning the Egyptians? Because Paro said that you should throw the children, babe, the boys, into the Nile. And therefore, Mida Kenegi Mida, you drown the Jewish kids, now we're drowning you. But, So if they didn't listen to Paro, he would kill them. And therefore, you're right, they should not have killed them. But, if they kill them, according to Jewish law, you're not Chayiv. So you, my, my Egyptians are not Chayiv, you can't drown them. Alam de Shesata, no. He knows how to learn. This was the Tsar of Mitzrayim. So the Malach Gavriel got up, ran, the Medrash says, ran to Mitzrayim, took a baby out of the wall, and threw it at the, Kisa, at the, at the Hashem's feet, whatever that means, by the Kisar cover. He said, you're right. They don't deserve death according to Allah. They don't deserve death for throwing the babies into the, into the Nile River. But Paro never told them to take babies and put them in the wall. That they did on their own. Nobody ever told them. So there was no Moriba Malchus. So there was no Aines. So they're Chayav Misa. So Hashem said one word. Kol Aim. Wipe them out. Now let's look at the Chareises. Klaistro would have never been saved in the Yamsuf if the babies would have never been put in the wall. 
So the charoises, even though it's a bitter zach, like the, 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 the stick that was thrown into the water, so even though charoises is a bitter zach, without the charoises, without the babies in the world, we would have never been saved. Because the Mitzriya would have been, had a good taina. They were, it would, they were, they were an inus. Here, they weren't an inus, they were chai, misa, Hashem destroyed them all. So why does Shulchan Aruch say that you should put the mara in the charoises, you should dip the mara in the charoises, because mara is a forbidden life. And you think you're having a miserable life. And you think everything's bitter. But when you dip it in the charoses, you realize the charoses was even more bitter. But it ended up being sweet. That makes the mara sweeter. That makes the pain in life sweeter. Understanding that the muscle that you build when you're pushing the rock is the muscle that's going to help you carry others. One of the greatest stories I've ever heard, a marshal on this, and then I'll leave you with a thought that I heard last night. Unbelievable thought. Just how many, with a raise of hand, how many boys, in the, how many people in this room are married? Kanai Nahara. Okay. Good. So that, the story that I have is for the guys who are married because I heard it from someone that um, was having problems in his, in his marriage and someone told him this, but we'll get to that in a minute. Listen to the story. There was a king. I might have told you this. I don't know what I've told you, but make believe I did. Um, there was a king and he used to go hunting with his doctor. Always went hunting with his doctor. So he goes hunting with his doctor, and they're running after this uh, deer, and the, the king's finger gets stuck in a tree, and he gets cut. And he runs over to the doctor, he says, can you help me? Can you stitch it up? The doctor says, sure, I can help you, I'll stitch it up. It's his doctor, the king's doctor. He stitches up his finger, and he looks at the, ki- the king looks at the doctor, and he says, you think I'll be okay? And the doctor says, you never know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I did the best I could. Okay, a week later... The doctor comes back to the king. The king comes to the doctor. He says, look what's going on. My finger's infected. Let me see. Ooh, it is infected. Um, okay, we're going to soak it in some Epsom salt. We're going to put some Neosporin on it. You think I'll be okay? I hope so. I did my best. A week later, he comes back. His whole finger is green. Totally gangrene. So the doctor, help me. The doctor says, uh... I hate to tell you this, but we gotta cut your finger off. He says, you're gonna what? He says, it's gangrene, it's gonna food, po- it's, gonna, it's gonna poison your whole body, it's gonna kill you. Okay? King is beyond himself. He's not asking him, after you cut the finger, we're gonna be okay. He cuts the finger off, the king wakes up, says to the doctor, you messed up. I am going to put you in my deepest dungeon, and I'm not going to give you to eat, and you're going to die. What you did to me. What are you going to do? He said, I'm sorry, I didn't do it on purpose. I don't care if you did it on purpose. I'm missing a finger! Puts him in the dungeon, locks him in. Finish, he's going to die. He's done. King says, okay, no, no more doctor, but I'm going hunting. He loved hunting. So he goes out hunting, and they get chased down by these cannibals, by these... Chevra of, of, of savages. They kill all the guards and they capture the king. They don't know if the king is in the woods, whatever. They take him to their temple and they were into, they were into human sacrifice. And there's this white guy, king, nice, they're, gonna, they're sacrificing him. He's the biggest matana to their, to their gods. They tie him up. They tie him up. The king, they put him on the, on the mizbeach, on the altar. And the, 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 the priest starts dancing around. They have the big, big, huge knife. And they're going to cut him up and then they're going to burn him as a carbon. As he's dancing around, everyone's chanting, chanting, chanting. He's dancing around. All of a sudden, no! 
priest says, no, no, no. No, 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 he's not a good sacrifice. The king's like, about to die. He's like, really, I'm not? <laughs> Why? He says, you're missing a finger. We don't sacrifice anything with a mum. Anything that has a blemish, anything that has a blemish to our gods, the human has to be perfect. You are imperfect. You are missing a finger. Untie him. Get him out of here. King's running through the woods back to the castle. He's like, I love you, doctor. You're the best thing that ever happened to me. I'd be dead. He comes running to the dungeon, opens the door. Doctor, doctor, you saved my life. He said, I thought I just cut your finger off. No, you saved my life. Out. You're my doctor again. All the money, everything you want. He says, you saved my life. He says, what happened? He said, I got caught and, and they're about to cut, they're about to bring me out of carbon and they throw up missing my finger and you saved my life. And the doctor looks at the king and goes, no. You saved my life. King says, why? He says, because if I would have been with you, I'm not missing a finger. <laughs> Let's look at the scenario, boys. One guy's missing a finger. One guy's in the dungeon. And both their lives were saved by the terrible positions they were in. Because he was in a dungeon in the dark to die, saved him. Because he was missing a finger, saved him. That's a Muna. That's belief. That's understanding that a stick that's bitter can make things sweet. It's understanding that Pusik in my mind is the biggest Pusik for any guy, any person, any Jew. That after 210 years of Mitzrayim, the Pusik makes a statement. And we're supposed to understand the statement. And the statement is, Vayah Hashem, Hashem sees your pain. Hashem sees everything you're going on in your life. And don't think He doesn't know. Vayeda Hashem. And any person who walks around knowing Hashem is watching me and He knows, you can go through anything. You can go through anything. And that's what Rashi, Rashi's saying that Hashem had to look away because of his Barachamim, that He knows you need to build the muscle, but He's not going to let you build the muscle if He looks at it. So He had to look away. Unbelievable. And we all struggle. And if you don't use that muscle, what a wasted struggle. When you get hurt, when you get hurt and somebody hurts you or something in your life hurts you, you need to think about how can I use that to help others? Not even past the moon or like everything Hashem does is for good. Okay, and what did you do with it? What did you do good? What did you do good with it? What I went through in third grade, I'm here today because I, went, I couldn't understand. I was a little nine-year-old kid, what, what I went through. I could not understand what I went through. I was like, Hashem, what are you doing? We're, we're, I'm a little kid. How can I go through this? I didn't understand it. But at 20 years old, I said, you know what? I'm just, I'm just going to let that happen to me and walk around with a depressed, anxious, angry guy. I'm going to make sure it doesn't happen to the 25 guys in my class every year. And I taught eighth grade for 30 years. That's 750 guys. Nobody touched them. And nobody embarrassed them. So I did something with it. I didn't just waste it. Hashem doesn't do it for nothing. So we try and we came out of try and we became a nation. He didn't just let's beat up the Jews. I know. I'm not just doing this. 
Not like the Sultan says, I'm sitting in Shemayim laughing at you, watching you, watching six million Jews die. You think I should just watch it and laugh? Oh, that's funny. That's why I brought six million people into the world to kill them in a horrible way. Hashem said, I know. But there's got to be America and Israel and Dafyemi and, and Yisrael has got to come out of this. A crazy nation, the nation of Mashiach. So before Mashiach, oh, it's not going to be easy, Mashiach. The Gemara says that. The Rashiva knows that. I'd rather not live in the times of Mashiach. It's not going to be easy. How are you going to go through Mashiach? How are you going to make it? All the garbage that's in the world today, the internet, everything, all the garbage, how are you going to make it? Why are we still here? Why are you in Yeshiva? Could have clashed made it before, the, before, many years ago? Through this? Probably not. So we became who we became. Hashem knows. And he cried with us in Gullahs, and he cried every Jew that died in the Holocaust, and the Spanish Inquisition, and, and everything that we've ever, ever gone through. And we're like, how come the boulder doesn't move? And Hashem says, I will move it. When the time comes, I will move it. And he will move it. And it's about to move. We've been pushing for a very long time. And we'll understand when Mashiach is here why we have this struggle. And we're going to use our muscle. And we are using our muscle. And I was very depressed before the Siyam Hashash because all I see all day is pain. I see the other side. I see the kids that are lost, the kids that are dying, the kids that are abused, the kids that are injured. I see it all. And I, and I was like, what's going on over here? I've been in Bear Mountains like, Hashem, what, what are you waiting for? You think it's going to get better? I don't understand it. When you're, when you're an oncologist and all you see is cancer every day and every person you look at you think has cancer. That's all I saw. I just see pain. I came to the CMI Shas and saw 90,000 people dancing. Not because I have to learn because they need a shidduch. Guys who are married with kids who don't have to learn because they need a shidduch. Balabatim, yeshiva light, dancing, kids dancing. And I was like, Satan, you lost! I screamed it out. I thought you're a winner. Because all I see is the kids off the derech. I'm like, Satan, I thought you're the winner. You, uh, you won a little skirmish. You win skirmishes. The war is ours, baby. The war is Klyosrow. Go to a seeking in the morning. Walk into Yeshiva. You think you're winning? You're not winning. But until that theme, I thought he was winning. I sat there, I watched. I was nightmare. It was unbelievable. The simcha, the guy that was sitting next to me, he said, he said, hi, I, I, uh, I, I, they said, stand up, everyone who finished Shas. I never wasn't able to stand up. I hope in seven and a half years, Mr. Shane, give me a bracha, I should be able to stand up. And, and, um, and this guy stood up, and he's like 80 years old. And I stood up, and I'm like, wow, he goes, the first time I ever finished Shas. And I'm 80 years old, and here are my grandchildren and my children sitting next to him. I'm like, Satan, you keep playing, play around. You're not doing, you're, you're losing. It was such a chizak. Where do you think this comes from? Christville never had a million guys getting up every morning at 5.30, 6 o'clock, 7 o'clock, and learning Hashem's Gemara. And Rishayim and Achrayim and, and, and there's pre, pre-Daf Yomi and post-Daf Yomi and Rishayim Achrayim on Daf Yomi. And look at, look at you guys here in Yeshiva. You don't understand. We, we, we're surrounded by schmutz, pornography, every schmutz the Satan ever came up with. We're surrounded with. And we still come to Yeshiva and learn. And we still believe in Hashem. And we still dive into Hashem and anti-Semitism. And, and all the other stuff that's going on in the world. And atheism has never been this strong. Where do we have the muscle to fight all these people that say there's no God? It's all struggle muscle. And when you sit and learn, you're using that muscle. 
You're not just sitting here saying, oh, well, look what happened. We're, 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 we're a bunch of victims. Just victims. It's all a bunch of victims. We're not victims. The seeing we're victors. We're survivors. We are survivors. We've survived since a very long time ago, since Mitzrayim. And Mitzrayim, Hashem said, I know. I love you. You're my boys. You're my family. You're my daughters. I know what's going on. And I, I'm not, I'm, it's painful. And sometimes I have to look away because if I don't look away, you have no struggles. And that's coming. The time of Klai Yisrael, Mitz Hashem, that has no struggles, is coming really fast. The coming of Mashiach. Amen! So here's my last story. Not my last story ever. My last story today. So what happened with the dinner? Thanks for reminding me. My ADD, I forgot it. So, so he tells me this story, and I and I said, and I, I said, so what is what is Yankel? I'm not Yankel, and I don't have a boulder. Like, what are you telling me the story for? So this is what this is what Rav Simcha Soloveitchik said to me. He said, Zechariah, your job is to make the dinner. It's God's job if He wants to make it successful. You got to push the boulder. You make the, you make the dinner. He said, anyway, your success or failure is always God's thing. We push, we do, we do. People work all day, they make no money. People don't work at all, they make money. You got to do your best. You got to, you got to, you got to push. He said, you got to make the dinner. You have no bitachin if you don't. You make the dinner. If Hashem wants it to move, it'll move. Okay. Came back to the office. My secretaries were not happy because they were going to get off the next four weeks and not have to do anything. (laughs) And I'm like, we're making the dinner. And they're like, what? Why? I'm like, Yonkel and the boulder. Right? The true story, Hashem's my witness, I'm in, I'm in a shul. Hashem's my witness even though I'm not in a shul. But anyway, so, I make this dinner. Guys, Rosh Hashiva was the biggest dinner I ever had. There were over 900 people at this dinner. What happened? What happened? I got into a lot of trouble. What happened? I let the word out that no one's coming to my dinner. I have a lot of friends, a lot of people that are very interested in Ornava. So they were like, okay, I'll go before the wedding, I'll go in the middle of the wedding, you know, while, you know, while they do pictures, um, I'll, I'll, I'll go before the graduation, I'll go after the graduation. So everybody, they weren't there for long, but everybody came in, running in, and they're like, there's no seats. You made this up, the whole thing's a story. <laughs> to this day, they don't, they don't believe the Yankel story, they're like, you set this up, you set this up. So the next year, nobody came, but anyway... It was, the, it was the best dinner I ever had. You got you to push. You, you got to make the keli. You got to come to yeshiva. You're not going to know the gemara. You are going to know the gemara. That, that's you got to. You got to. It's effort. God is just into effort. He's not into goals. I love that line that you don't have to finish the work. My rabbi gave us a four page thing on gemara. I gave him two pages. He said, "Where's the rest?" I said, "It's a mishnah." <laughs> he threw me out in class because I said it in front of everyone. He said, "It's the mishnah first. You're not supposed to finish, right?" <laughs> Don't do that with your wife when she tells you to do something. But but it, it, it is, to be successful is not our job. It's a job. And when you struggle, guys, whatever you're struggling with, he knows. Yes, and if you made up, you're not talking to girls. And then all of a sudden, this girl that you know comes back into your life is just a subtle challenging and saying, yeah, yeah, he doesn't have a girlfriend right now. It's a big deal. He's in yeshiva. He he, he challenged. That's 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 the sameness that's growing, and that that builds crazy muscle. So this is a very important story that I heard from a boy that 
had a very tough marriage. And he told me over this story. And he told me that his Rebbe told this story to his wife when they were struggling. He told me this story yesterday. He told me the following story. This is very important, whether you're married or not, but especially if you're married. So, um, this, this guy had a, had a very big problem with his wife. She, she always made fun of him. She was very derogatory. She criticized him. She never complimented him. And, and it was very hard for him to control his anger. She was always screaming at him that he shouldn't scream back. But he really, he really loved her and he really didn't want to scream back. She was very abusive. So he went for therapy. The therapist said, listen, you know, and you can't have a temper, you can't have anger. Listen, from now on, this is what you do. Some of you probably heard the story, but it's a very important story. What you do is, every time she screams at you and you're really angry, go to your room, and you take out a big board like this top of the stender, right, a big piece of wood, and take a nail and take your anger out on the nail. Take your hammer, whack the nail into the board, and you'll be good. It worked. Every time we get angry, took a nail, whacked it put it in his drawer. One day, his wife was cleaning up, she opens the drawer. It's a piece of wood full of nails. (laughs) Full, full, the whole thing is full of nails. She never saw it before, she says to him, Chaim, what what is this? He says, listen, I'll tell you the truth, you know, you yell at me all the time, you criticize me, and I, I didn't want to yell back at you. I went to the therapist, and the therapist said, when you get angry, take a nail and whack it. She says, really? I, I never realized I'm really so mean. I'm really so not nice to you. He goes, every nail is a time that you belittled me. She says, I'm changing my ways. I'm not going to do that anymore. She said, so if I compliment you, what would you do? He went back to the therapist. He said, he said what do I do if she compliments me? He said, then take a nail out. Okay. So it went on for about two, three months and she didn't yell at him at all. And she complimented him. This is such a neighbor from this guy's heart. This guy is so broken, this boy said this to me. So he takes out the board. She says, Can I see the board? Where are we up to? He takes out the board and there are no nails. And she says, See? I made it all up to you. I told you I would. He said, No. He said, I appreciate what you did, but there's still a piece of wood full of holes. And the holes will never go away. So, what the story is telling us, if you hurt somebody, even if you say you're sorry, and I'm not going to do it again, remember, you left a hole in the board. Because even when all the nails are out, the board is still full of holes. When you hurt somebody, you make a hole. So don't hurt them. It's very nice. He took all the nails out, but don't hurt them. This boy was telling me that that his marriage is better, but he's still a very broken guy. Because for years he was told that he's a nobody, and now he's in therapy. Now, if you don't if you don't tell that to somebody, you don't you don't need to go to therapy. So we need to think that every time we hurt someone, we're putting it we're putting a nail into a piece of wood, and then when we pull the nail out, we're like, "Yay! Look, I have the nail!" Yeah, but but look at the wood; still has a hole. We have to be very careful. People are not as strong as they used to be. And even when they were strong, they weren't as strong as you thought they were. I deal with a lot of broken kids. And a lot of broken people. And a lot of broken marriages. And one of the judgments in Shemayim after 120 years is not put on Tulin every day. 
is not if you learn Torah every day. Well, how did you treat your wife? Very scary Zohar for me. Not because of this. The Zohar says that a person who works for the Tzibor, right? Your whole life you work for the Tzibor. You help people. After 120, you come to Shemayim, the Zohar says, Hashem asks the, your wife if she was maskim. And if she wasn't maskim, you get zero credit. I saw it. Someone showed it to them. I don't know why they showed it to me, but... <laughs> the whole life, you're a Gabi Tzedaka, you're a Rebbe, you're doing Kiruv, everything. You come up to Shemayim, if your wife says, I wasn't maskim, Hashem says, I care more about your relationship with your wife than all that stuff that you did. So I tell my wife every night, you like what I do, don't you? <laughs> Listen, you gave up your whole life for this. Don't say no. <laughs> Very mocked boys. How you treat your wife. If you don't treat her right, a lot of your other stuff ain't going to help. And for all the women behind the mechitza, it's not a one-way street. Your din v'chashbin. No, 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 we're happy about it. We're happy about it. What, you want to see them get punished? Like what? That every woman has a din v'chashbin on, on how she treated her husband. And, 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 and we know from Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Akiva was very clear on this, that all my Torah and everything I do is hers. Why is it hers? Because the bottom line is she made it possible for me. So all the Torah and all the mitzvahs that a husband does, the wife, forget my story about if you're him or not, all the Torah and mitzvahs that she's behind, she, she takes care of the husband, it's all hers. She doesn't have a mitzvah in Talmud Torah, but she gets all her Talmud Torah, all your learning, all the Gemara. She knows as much Gemara as you do in the next world. Because she was behind you. She was a, she was a Yisachan Zulam. She was behind you. She took care of you. So that's, it works the same way. We have to be very, very, very sensitive in al People, for some reason, they treat other people. When it comes to a wife and a husband, they don't realize that it's the same dinner as your friend in yeshiva or, your, or, or her girlfriend or whatever it is. And, and it's just, and it's even more. It's even more because it's a zivug. It has a whole, a whole Kabbalistic, crazy Kabbalistic thing of zivug Friday night, zivug, and the whole thing of zivug and Shemayim and zivug. It's, 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 it's not just a guy and a girl. It's, it's a whole... It's a whole neshama thing. It's, a, it's, it's crazy stuff. And we're not, we're, this generation is not careful. And we, we're knocking a lot of nails into the wood, both sides. And then we take, we, you know, we go for therapy, we go with that, we take the nail out, but the guy's hurt, the girl's hurt. Because you once said that about me, so I know you really feel like now you're doing it just to stay married, but that's really what you think of me. Compliment each other. <coughs> Give each other brachas before you leave in the morning. You should have sat to the shmaya. You should, good luck with the kids, man. Oh my, huh? You know, you have a good day with the kids, you know? And she's like, have a good day in yeshiva. And then how'd you do in yeshiva? You know why you did well? Because I gave you a bracha. And if you didn't do well, even with a bracha, you're garnished, whatever, didn't work. <laughs> so that's what we have to take away from this. To take away this, the moral in our life is really sweet. It's really sweet. Chesed <laughs> Moshe was only because he was the kind of midjan. Because knows everything. And sometimes the bitter stick is what makes the water, makes the water sweet. And the Mitzvah Hashem will all be Zaycha. First of all, I want you to know that I feel a lot better. So um, if, I, if I don't feel well, I'll just tell my wife I have to fly to Israel, go to Medrash. So. But I want to feel well. I want to come here and feel well.
And I just want to—I just want to say that I love your Rosh Hashiva, and and I am telling you, but MS, there's no way. I, I was supposed to be in three seminaries today. I canceled all three. And no, don't be happy. No, they're going to hear the tape. I'm dead anyway. Anyway, whatever. And I just, I just, I think he's, I think he's the greatest Rosh Hashiva and the greatest person. And if anyone has ever pushed the boulder, and pushed the boulder, and the muscle that this Rosh Hashiva has can carry Klai Israel to Mashiach. Thank you. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.